Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So we did this giant study to figure out what is it that's holding couples back? A lot of women grow up thinking I am not a sexual being in my own right. Sex is something that he needs, but it isn't necessarily for me. Sex, remember the way God intended, is supposed to be something which is a mutual knowing of each other. And if you say that her needs don't matter, it's no longer intimate. No, you're not alone. This is not the end of your story. And you serve a God of hope and transformation. Dear young married couple, you're in a busy season of your life. You're probably working and involved in ministry. On top of that, you might even be parents or students. You're maxed, but you really want to stay connected in your marriage. And that's why we're bringing this podcast to you. I'm Adam King. And I'm Carissa King. And we work with busy couples just like you in our counseling office here in Sacramento, California. We also work with couples all over the world through online counseling, And our couples are really just looking for ways to communicate with each other more effectively. Some of them are looking to heal from a breach in trust or find direction in fulfilling the purpose that God has for them. So come and join us as we have a conversation. We'll talk with therapists, authors, pastors, and other couples who will pour into us, giving us tools to become more intimately connected, get adventurous, and find purpose. Welcome to the Dear Young Married Couple Podcast. Today's podcast episode is on the great sex rescue. Yes, and we're honored to have two very special guests with us today, the authors of the book, The Great Sex Rescue. Which is just out. Yes. Uh, So those authors are Sheila Gregoire and Rebecca Lindenbach. And uh, welcome, ladies, to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be back. Yes, we had Sheila Gregoire on our podcast several months ago, and we'll link that episode in the show notes in case you want to check that one out if you haven't already. Um, But it's called The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, and she's the author of that book. So if you love that book, you'll probably love this book as well that just came out. So I'm excited about asking you questions about this. Um, I I love research, and I see that you've done a lot of research on this. Um, book. So why don't we just jump in by um, kind of asking the simple question, why does sex need rescuing? Yeah, why does sex need rescuing? Well, one of the things that we realized in our research, which we did a survey of 20,000 Christian women. 
which is, I will say, that's a pretty large number yes. of women to yeah. ask about. And this was a very invasive survey. We're talking, <laughs> how often do you get there during sex? Like, how uh-huh. often do you orgasm? How often do you get aroused? Uh, nice. It was mm-hmm. about 30 minutes to complete this behemoth wow. of a survey. So it wasn't just like a quick, like, five-minute survey monkey. No, it wasn't just, do you like sex? Do you have it? It wasn't that. Like We, we uh-huh. broke survey monkey, yeah. actually. <laughs> we actually, did, we think that we broke them. So we got so many responses that when we first did the survey, there was an option to have unlimited responses. And now you're capped. <laughs> wow. Um, so we think we broke their survey. You servers. go, girls. You go. Yeah. That's so, awesome. so all that to say is, when looking at all this research, we did this big research project because, you know, my mom, by the way, yeah, Sheila is my mom, which yeah, is a whole other super weird word yep. to this, but, you know, <laughs> it's fun. Weird. It's fine. We're good with it. But you've been writing about sex for years and keep on hitting the same problems, right? Like we can put mm-hmm. all the healthy messages out there yeah. that we that we want to, like how to boost your libido, how to make sex feel good, how to want mm-hmm. sex, how to enjoy sex. But people kept coming back, even after reading the blog for years with the same problems. And we mm-hmm. realized there's something else in the way. Mm-hmm. So we did this giant study to figure out what is it that's holding couples back? Okay. And what we looked at is which common evangelical teachings on sex and marriage actually lead to bad sexual outcomes for women. We're talking lower orgasm rates, lower frequency of arousal, even higher rates of sexual pain. Okay. And one of the things we realized is that we have an orgasm gap. Mm. In a lot of marriages. And what we mean by that is that 95% of men will orgasm almost every or every time they have sex. So they're going into sex thinking, I'm going to get there. Uh It's going to feel good. Yeah. In contrast, only 48% of women said the same thing. Wow. Wow. 48%. Yeah. And I will say our amount, 48% is in line with other research that, um, so we actually backed up other research as well, which finds anywhere between the high 30% to like the low 60% in general. Interesting. Um, so what we're finding is that in a lot of marriages, there's this major discrepancy between his experience with sex and hers. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we want, right? right? Like you don't that's want to go what into God sex. intended, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't want to have a sex life as, as the husband. I mean, all husbands want their wives to want sex, right? Totally, right. totally. So, so we wanted to help couples rescue that and close that gap. Mm-hmm. I love that. That is so helpful. So I'm curious um, because I know that some women do take several years to get to the point where they're comfortable or vulnerable enough or, you know, to understand their body enough right. to get there, mm-hmm. as you say. Mm-hmm. Um, did you have a way of like kind of like separating the groups that like, you know, we've been married for one year and we haven't got there yet. And we've been there for 30 years and I've never experienced that. Like, is there a way of differentiating that? Yeah, I looked at that in my original surveys for the Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex. And, you know, we did figure in that in that survey that, yeah, when you've been married like 16 to 24 years, that's the sweet spot. That's where where things get really good. But what we were trying to find in this one wasn't so much like how many years it took, but what made it more difficult for people. Good. Because I think if we can figure out what makes it more difficult for people, then there's no need to have to wait 16 years. (laughs) And that's the goal. (laughs) Exactly. Because, because of course, I know that 
it makes sense that there would be a different drive if one has experienced the heightened amounts of pleasure, like the man, and the woman is like, you know, there's not much to, you know, mm-hmm. want here. <laughs> right. So there's going to be a huge mismatch drive in drive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that totally makes sense. So I guess the big question is, um, what were the main things getting in the way of these women experiencing what God made their bodies for? Mm-hmm. We looked at quite a few different teachings and we found like four or five that were quite significant. Okay. And I think one of the very first ones is just this idea that sex is something that he wants and that he has a deep need for, Mm. um, but it's not something that she has a deep need for. Mm. And we see this in a lot of evangelical, like just the way we talk about it, right? Like what she really needs is conversation Uh and what he really needs is sex. So he's going to feel close to you through sex. She doesn't need sex in the same way. You know, the Mm -hmm. gateway to her body is to talk to her, you know, and all this. And like, while there's some truth to that, not necessarily because people have different libidos, but But it resonates with women when they hear that. Yeah. But it really erases the idea that she's a sexual being in her own right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of women grow up thinking, I am not a sexual being in my own right. I, you know, sex is something that he needs, but it isn't, it isn't necessarily for me. Mm-hmm. And when he believes that too, then they're just not going to spend enough time on foreplay in generally. Right. <laughs> in general. right. That's true. Wow. What was, um, so that was one of the teachings, you know, Mm -hmm. that, um, that she's not a sexual being in her own right because of the whole men want sex, women want communication. Right. Um, so that's kind of a societal thing sounds like too, just kind of what we kind of put on people like, this is what you Mm -hmm. want. This is what you want. Yeah. And a lot of the teachings really are in society too. Like when we say evangelical teachings, we don't mean that they're from the Bible. We don't mean that they're from God. Right. We mean that they're really pushed in evangelical circles. And a lot of them are pushed outside evangelical circles too. But we were looking specifically at, like, we looked at the best-selling sex and marriage books and Mm -hmm. where a lot of these teachings came from. And we saw them throughout. Um, Like, even, like, just even for that one, you know, the typical line is Emerson Egerton, love and respect. If your husband is typical, he has a need that you don't have. Mm. Right. The husband has a need for physical release and the wife doesn't. Right. Like, like that's just not, that's not how God made our bodies. Right. Right. Uh, And I think while maybe highlighting a husband's need is okay, the wife's needs should be highlighted as well. That her sexual needs, right. That, yeah. That yeah, and I mean a proper approach. And actually, that's that's another teaching is this idea that a wife is obligated to give her husband sex when he wants it. You know, the idea that a wife is obligated to fulfill sexual needs. And we found that even phrasing it that way, like about sexual needs, is a bit of a problem because if you say that someone has a need, then you're saying someone else has to fulfill it. Mm. Like if they have a need, then you don't really have a choice anymore. And that was actually one of the most damaging views. The idea that that a wife is obligated to provide her husband with sex when he wants it, because um, what that says to her is your needs don't matter. All that matters is what he wants. And sex, remember, the way God intended is supposed to be something which is a mutual knowing of each other. I think we talked about that on the last podcast. 
Mm-hmm. That it's two people being totally intimate with one another. And if you say that her needs don't matter, it's no longer intimate. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. So instead of talking about it that way, you know, let's talk about it as sex is something beautiful that God created for us. It's mutual. It's pleasurable. It's intimate. Let's make this something prioritized and real in our marriage, but don't turn it into an obligation. Because mm-hmm. when you do that, here's one, here's, here's one of the most interesting findings. Her rate of sexual pain, of vaginismus, is almost the same as if she had been abused. Like the obligation sex message has the same effect on women's bodies almost Mm. as prior abuse. We interpret it, our bodies interpret it as trauma. Oh my goodness. Mm. Wow. And that's what you found in your survey. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And if we talk about sex as a mutual knowing, right? And if our emphasis about sex is always about mutuality, not about making sure everyone gets their dues, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't have to emphasize needs. Yeah. Like his or hers, because it's just part of the conversation, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, sex was made for both of you. So let's mm-hmm. make sure both of you enjoy it. Uh, mm-hmm. That's so good. Mm-hmm. I love that. So speaking of, you know, pain, you, Christian women, you guys said uh, Christian women have twice the rate of sexual pain disorders as the general population. So would you say that the cause for that was this message or are there other nuances to it? Anytime we talk about causing something like vaginismus or a pain disorder, it's always going to be really nuanced, right? Mm -hmm. These are things where there isn't often one cause. Uh, It's a bunch of things that all build up together Mm -hmm. and kind of make it all topple over to actually getting to that point of of a diagnosis of vaginismus, right? Right. But we do know that there is something different about the cultural even the culture of evangelicalism that these women are growing up in, that they're getting married in, that they're experienced mm. marriage in, that is causing them to have double the risk. Okay. Um, and I think it is safe to say that what makes evangelicalism different than the rest of the population, well, it kind of is what we're taught, mm-hmm. right? Like what is evangelicalism? It's just a, a system of beliefs and teachings that we follow, mm-hmm. right? It's our way of uh, following Christ. And unfortunately, somewhere along the lines, we've gotten off the path, right? Mm -hmm. We've, we've forgotten what it means to only focus on looking like Jesus and following Mm -hmm. him. And we've allowed other teachings to creep into evangelicalism that have told women, your body does not belong to you anymore. And so you don't have a choice Mm -hmm. that have told women, your needs don't matter as much as his, you are less important in this area that tell women you don't have these needs. And so your job is simply to make sure you're meeting his and those kinds of things tell women I'm not safe sexually because I don't have sexual autonomy. Uh, And then what happens is their bodies just close up. Yeah. You know, like that's, and we heard that over and over again in our focus groups as well. Mm -hmm. We did focus group interviews with women who had um, gotten over um, negative messages and had transformed their sex life as a result. And I will say a lot of them, their husbands were like just Christ to them. Their husbands are who brought them through these negative teachings because they showed them you're mm-hmm. believing something about sex that doesn't look like the love of Christ. And mm-hmm. I want to be the love of Christ for you. Wow. And that was the transforming thing for them was being able to get over these messages That's because powerful. their husbands showed them that they yeah. don't believe them themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you provide um, like a curriculum 
to help them work through those messages? Or is that like a, something that happened before the survey? Yeah. So we haven't, we're, we're hoping to create a bit of a guide for couples to talk through this book, but that's, that's okay. a long, we have so but, many well, long the book, projects. The book itself actually has. That's what I was going to yeah. say. Yeah. But okay. the book itself has in every chapter, we have something called the rescuing and reframing section okay. where it takes, and I'll, I'll give you an example. Okay. Um, when we take one of these chapters, and we say, um, I'll, I'll do, I'll do one from, from the orgasm, uh, sure. gap chapter, because that one's fun, right? We all want to, sure, yeah. sex really <laughs> um, so here, here we have this. So we have this, that couples can work through where we say, instead of saying she has emotional needs and he has sexual needs, say both spouses have sexual and emotional needs, even if they feel one to a greater degree. Okay. Right. So you can right. work through these things together to talk about what's the healthy alternative. But mm -hmm. the people we talked to in our focus groups, we wanted to talk to people who had already gotten through it. Mm -hmm. You know, we wanted to talk mm -hmm. to people to mm -hmm. see, okay, how did you do it? How can we mm -hmm. encourage other couples to let them know you're not alone? This is not the end of your story. And you mm -hmm. serve a God of hope and transformation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. good. This is really good. I love that message because, um, especially in, in these sort of, conversations people don't feel um free to talk about it and so they do feel very alone and stuck in the like i can't talk about it i have these pains but i you know that's not okay mm -hmm. to yeah. voice that yeah. yeah probably because of the culture that we've created in church circles um around sexuality in general it's there's a silence around sexuality not just for women but i think in general, like we just well, don't talk about it. Even the fact that so few people know the word vaginismus. Yes. Most people don't even yes. know what that word means. And that right. is the medical, it's mm -hmm. the medical term for the condition where the muscles in the vaginal wall contract to such an extent mm -hmm. that penetration is very painful um, mm -hmm. or, or even impossible. And yet we all know what erectile dysfunction means. True. <laughs> you know? and, and yet the incidence <laughs> of vaginismus, like if you're looking at 20 somethings, the incidence of vaginismus is higher than the incidence of erectile dysfunction. Wow. Among 20 somethings. And why do we not know that in the general population? Why don't right. we know that term even? Yeah. yeah. So we found mm -hmm. that um, just over 20% of women had experienced, you know, primary sexual pain, like vaginismus to some extent, okay. and 7% had it to the extent that penetration was impossible. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, we have couples like that, that come into counseling where, or even people who will call us on their honeymoon and they're like, we can't have sex. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah. so I think this is something that a lot of people experience, but a lot of people don't realize that other people experience it. So they think they're alone. Yeah. That's exactly it. And that was my story. When I got married, this is what we were greeted with on our, on our um, honeymoon. Night. I'm sorry, my baby. Okay. <laughs> Poor daughter. I, I can live through this. I am so used to this <laughs> at this point. I am so, yeah. You know, but, uh, but we had no word for it. We had no idea what was going on. We had, we, we had never been told that this could possibly happen mm -hmm. and that made it all the more difficult. Now the yes. book, the book is not all about sexual pain. No, like, it's this is actually quite, you know, it's just a, uh -huh. a bit of it, but we did want it. We did want to emphasize it just because it has never talked about. True. And yet so many yeah. women experience it. And like we said, this is our problem. Yep. Like in evangelicalism, twice the rate of the general population. So we need to get to the bottom wow. of it. So what are the other um, kind of important messages that you guys found or important messages that you have in the book 
that came from um, the needs that you were seeing in the survey. We'll be right back to the interview, but first we wanted to share something that we are really excited about. So, you know, we all have those times where we don't feel super connected to our spouse and we really don't know what conversations to have to get us to that connected place. And then on top of that, we're so busy that we don't prioritize those conversations. And that's why we created the monthly live date night. And monthly live date night is every month on a Friday night for 90 minutes, 60 minutes. It, we focus on a topic that uh, you guys pick and then 30 minutes we do a Q&A and it's live where we're all together asking questions and giving answers on topics related to your marriage, your intimacy. And we share tools. Uh, we have handouts that we call homework because we want you to be there to listen and to soak in. But we really want you to take action in your marriage too. So come join us live for the next monthly live date night. Check the link in the show notes for dates and details. All right. Back to the interview. Um, well, another big teaching that that really backfires is okay. the idea that all men struggle with lust. It's every man's mm-hmm. battle. And this one backfires mm-hmm. for both men and women yes. um, yeah. <laughs> really badly because for men, I think it's such a shaming message mm-hmm. because what we've largely done is we have told men that if you are sexually attracted to someone, you have lusted. Uh, that's good yeah yeah women are able to watch the five-hour version of pride and prejudice and think oh darcy is really attractive and not feel like horrible horrible sexual deviance Mm. whereas men are not able to you know notice an attractive woman without thinking am i being a bad person because we're told from the age of 12 13 that lust is a boy's problem Okay. We're told that all boys do this. All men struggle with this because you're a boy. You're going to do this. It's mm. your, your job is just to make sure you do it as little as possible. And then in essence, channel all of that sexual energy that you really shouldn't have. Just channel it onto your wife. Mm. But girls aren't given that same message. And so I feel True. like girls are actually allowed to kind of mm-hmm, have a bit of a healthier understanding of attraction. And it's not yeah. as much of a threat. How do you differentiate between lust and attraction? Well, Jesus said that whoever looks with a woman with lust has already committed adultery. So he said, looks with lust. Okay. Seeing is involuntary. Noticing is involuntary. Right. (laughs) You know, even looking to a certain extent is involuntary, like is not a big deal. It's when you look with lust. So it's looking with intention. It's when your mind starts saying, Hmm. I wonder what she looks like naked. Or hmm. What if we were to whatever? Or hmm. Let me picture mm-hmm. her like this. When then you make it's a conscious become, decision, right? Yeah. But if if like if a really beautiful woman passes you and you it registers, mm-hmm. yeah, that is not mm-hmm. lust, right? Yeah, even appreciating beauty isn't lust. Like I don't feel mm-hmm. objectified or lusted after, and I think most women don't. If like one of your guy friends comes up and says, "Oh, you look great today." Sure. I'm not like walk away perv. That's not what I say. I say thank you because I know that he's not objectifying. Right. Yeah. Right. Like right. that's just acknowledging you look yes. nice today. Yeah. Right. But I think that so often, like if, if we keep on saying this message that all men will always do this, then mm-hmm. what we tell men who are honorable and good guys who just don't want to, you know, 
dishonor women who don't want to disrespect women. They live in constant fear of themselves. And condemnation. Yeah, and I think yeah. Satan will yeah. use that. Yeah. Exactly. And I and I just hope that we can offer some freedom to understand that there is nuance here and that you're not a bad person for saying, hey, they're attractive. Um, and that there is a lot of steps between finding someone attractive and actively objectifying them in your mind. And that's what that's we're not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So good. That, that is so yeah. good. I wish more men um, had this sort of conversation right? Mm-hmm. because I have counseled so many men and that's what they have in their head yeah. that they're kind of broken in their, in their yeah. mind. Um, mm-hmm. And anytime they think about a woman is, is like, Oh, I just now committed a sin again. Mm-hmm. And so it's yeah. kind of, it's very difficult in that way mm-hmm. to stay righteous in their mind. Like they don't see themselves as righteous. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's totally the story. And I think there is a massive need because, well, for teaching, but also discipleship where a a mature Christian could come alongside someone. Like, I love how you're talking about focus groups. Mm -hmm. Could come alongside someone and say, this is the difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, go practice and let's talk about it later. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally. That mentorship, we need that more in the body. And yet, what do we tend to tell guys instead? We say to them, um, you know, if you are struggling with lust, mm-hmm. which every man is, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we say. Every man struggles with lust. Yeah. It's every man's battle. Then what you need to do is transfer all of your sexual energy to your wife. So really what that's saying is instead of objectifying every woman in the world, objectify Objective. only one. <laughs> But it gets even worse than that. Yeah, it does. It gets even worse than that when you consider what it also tells women is your husband wants everyone else, but he's going to settle for just you. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, that is not exactly. Yeah, that's not a love story. That's not the fairy tale we signed up for, right? Like, (laughs) that's that's just kind of a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. 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 And so what we found is that that idea that all men struggle with lust is highly correlated with women trusting their husbands less. And what's what's really interesting is that a lot of women were taught this message before they even met their husbands. Mm. Wow. So before they even met the good guy that they married, assuming it's a good guy and most guys are right. So it's before they even met this good guy, they learned you can't trust him. Mm hmm. And they tend to trust their husbands less, even when, and we controlled for porn use and all kinds of other things, Uh you know? Um, And so it's, that message is getting into the middle of our relationships and is really hurting the way that we see each other. It makes women far less aroused, far less likely to become aroused during sex, all kinds of really negative things. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Man, I love that you guys were so thorough in this study because I think, even just curiosity, it's intriguing for, for the readers, right? To, to find out like, what were the results, but to yeah. apply that to our lives and to look at, you know, biblically, what is, what is Jesus saying about these things? And I, it sounds like you guys have done both of those things. We've read bits and pieces of the book that we received digitally, but we can't <laughs> wait to get our hands on the hard copy. Um, so you start up the book by saying that one of the biggest problems leading to terrible sex is that we define sex wrong. So what do you guys mean by that? Well, okay. I'm not going to do this because this is creepy, but if I were to say to you, did you have sex last night? Did I do this on the podcast last time? I can't remember if I did this to you or not, but if I were to ask you if you had sex last night, chances are you're picturing something very specific. 
Oh, right? yeah. you're, you did you're, ask us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I want to repeat it because it's an important point, but yes. what people think I'm asking is, you know, did he put his penis into her vagina and move around until he climaxed? Right. And that's our definition <laughs> of sex. Uh huh. But in that definition, she could be lying there making out a grocery list in her head <sighs> and she's not even a part of it, or she might even not want it. Yeah. Like it could be even yeah. worse than that, right? right? Our definition of sex needs to include both people's experiences because that's the way that the Bible always talks about sex, that it's totally mutual. That's the point mm-hmm. of 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5, the do not deprive verses that we always right. think about. It's presented as something which is completely and utterly mutual. You know, in those days, husbands had complete authority over their wife's body to the point that if they murdered their wife, that was okay. Right. And yet Paul turns around and says to that society, your wife has authority over your body. Mm-hmm. Like that was new. Yeah. Like this was revolutionary that it went both ways equally. Yeah. Um, and so that's the point of that passage that sex is mutual and it's intimate and it's pleasurable. And so that means that sex can't only be intercourse because when we looked at how women reach intercourse or reach orgasm, sorry, um, of the women who are able to reach orgasm, I think it's like 30 eight percent i'm guessing it's in the high 30s you know can reach orgasm through intercourse alone okay but all the other women either need a lot of foreplay or they reach orgasm through other means and usually Mm -hmm. those other means are more reliable than intercourse okay Mm -hmm. so if we're defining sex as meaning intercourse so we're telling couples hey you know god requires you to not deprive each other of intercourse then she's already being deprived (laughs) Mm, (laughs) because you're prioritizing something which tends to, well, almost always brings him to orgasm, but it doesn't always bring her to orgasm. So what we're Mm. trying to say is our definition of sex needs to be every sexual thing that you do together that brings each other pleasure. Mm -hmm. And it's not Mm. just intercourse in your sexual relationship. It's not like foreplay is the admission to the main event. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, That's it's how not, people see it though. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, we think about all of these things that you might've done before you were married to get y'all hot and heavy. And now, well, we don't have to do that anymore because now we can do the sex. Mm. And it's like, well, it was all those other things that helped her get hot and heavy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I think totally. just going back, I think that is true because in a way, well, if, if it's her duty just to you know, let me objectify her. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Then it was just an avenue to get to where we want to go. Right. Mm-hmm. But if it becomes more of like, let's broaden the term sex to include much more mm-hmm. and it not be just an, it becomes more of an event rather than a destination. It becomes mm-hmm. more easy for her to be, you know, enjoy where she is yeah. rather than me just trying to drag her along for my experience. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Wow. I love that new definition of sex. It's true. (laughs) We have, uh, we've actually talked about this on, um, a podcast this week, uh, the week that we're recording this, but we talked about how we have flattened this multidimensional nuanced experience into one act of intercourse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we need to we need to keep that broadened if we're going to see fruitful outcomes and intimate connection. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so good. Uh, okay, so question for you guys. Um, what one important topic did uh, you guys said you surveyed these, you know, best selling books on sex and marriage in, in Christian circles and evangelical circles? Uh, what was one important topic that these books actually left out? We're going to get right back to the episode, but we wanted to share something really quick with you. We have been married for almost 13 years and we have had the same dinnerware and silverware and glasses um, since we got married on from our registry. Yeah. So we have been looking around to buy some new dinnerware and um, then Lennox approached us to uh, share some stuff with you guys. Yeah. So we recently received their French Pearl Scallop uh, dinnerware, which is gorgeous. It's a gorgeous collection of... um, dinnerware that's crafted of porcelain and we also received their high quality crystal glasses. Yeah, I've been trying to get rid of our old glasses for a long time. Yes. <laughs> and so if you haven't upgraded your dinnerware since you got married and you've been married for a while or maybe you're newlyweds and you haven't completed your collection, we highly recommend Lennox. So you can go to lennox.com today to purchase and you can use our code DYMC to save 20% on your order. This one is a big one. Okay. We looked at the best selling Christian um, sex and marriage books and Uh consistently there was one topic that is just entirely absent and it is this, the idea of consent. Mm. Okay. So what happens is all these books have all these examples of how women must have sex, about how they can't say no to sex, but they don't actually mention that consent is still needed in marriage. And some of them go as far to have actual examples of marital rape in their books, and they either don't call it rape or they don't say that it was wrong. Mm. There's one book in particular, and this is a hard story. Um, But it's important to talk about how this is what we've been told as Christian wives and Christian husbands, that this is, this is normal. There's one story in the act of marriage by Tim Beverly LaHaye that talks about Matilda's wedding night. Mm. So this, this woman named Matilda is warning her niece about sex on her wedding day saying, it's just horrible. You're going to hate it. Like they're always just going to want to take it from you. And she's warning her niece about how terrible sex is. And then Tim says, you know, Matilda, when she was married, her husband, who was 20 years her senior, pinned her down and raped her while she was kicking and screaming. Mm -hmm. And he continued to do that throughout her marriage. And what he then goes on to say is that Matilda was wrong for giving her niece a bad picture of sex. And Matilda and her, and he says this, Matilda and her equally unhappy husband. So let that just sink in. A woman who was pinned down and raped, kicking and screaming, and her equally unhappy husband. Hmm. um, That Matilda shouldn't have used her experience to uh, say all these bad things about sex to her niece. They really portrayed Matilda as the antagonist of the story. And the words they used for her rapist husband were bumbling, um, clumsy. Mm. Um, Like they they didn't use words like violent or Mm. aggressive or bad (laughs) even. It was this poor man who had this wife who didn't understand that sex was good. And so he (sighs) had to rape her to get it. 
Wow. And this is what was acceptable in our books. And I will say, I know that like the act of marriage has been through many editions and many Mm -hmm. um, revisions. Mm -hmm. We read the fourth edition and it had gone through multiple revisions and Matilda was still there. Wow. Yeah. And it's, Um, I mean, one of the foremost recommended books for premarital. mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not just active marriage either. Active marriage was the most explicit because he actually said pinning her down and she was screaming. Um, But his needs, her needs um, even says, uh, uh, the author quotes a man who says, you know, I feel like I'm pawing and grabbing at her. I feel like I feel ridiculous. Like I I almost have to rape her because I just Mm. need this so badly. And then he doesn't then say, uh, you shouldn't rape your wife. He just uses that as an example to the wives, how you cannot possibly know how much he needs this. And so women are given this impression that either you have sex with him or he will take it. Ah. Mm. So Um, what I'm hearing from you guys in the surveys you've done of these books, I mean, and we've read all these books too. So this is an interesting note. I don't remember Matilda. We don't remember Mm. those things because these subliminal messages Mm -hmm. that, I mean, and we're trained like, I'm yeah. not a marriage and family therapist. Like, and you're not the only right? ones. But we don't remember those those stories because I think these subliminal messages we we just get throughout, you know, the mm-hmm. the books, the teachings around sex, the silence around sex. And so I, that's an interesting thing that even if they're not saying it directly, these um it's implied. Mm-hmm. It's well, implied. and I think what has happened is we have made sex so much of a black and white, you can do it and then you can, like you can't do it and then you can, that right. we forget to say that not all sex and marriage is good. Like it isn't yeah. good because you are married. Mm-hmm. You don't have a free pass just because you are married. You yeah. still need to honor and respect and dignify each other. Yes. But because we expect people to not have sex before they're married, we never talk about consent. Mm. Right. Because you don't need to talk about consent if they're not having sex. Right. right? But then we don't then talk about consent when they are having sex. And we need to be a culture that understands that consent matters Mm -hmm. and that without consent, sex is not good. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and it's not just about active, you know, assault. There's a lot of other things that take away women's ability to say no to sex. I mean, or men's and men's men's too. Yeah. Yeah. Just people's ability in general. Like, I mean, in, in our Christian books that we've gotten our evangelical resources, women are threatened so much. If they don't put out your husband will watch porn, you know, either you will have a love affair with your husband or someone else will. Um, Like there's, there's all these different things that women are told where Mm -hmm. if you don't put out, Mm-hmm. you will suffer consequences. Yeah. Mm. And that is the definition of coercion, right? Like, yeah. and, and I, I just, I think that we need to yeah. talk about it. We need to talk about it so that sex yeah. is a life-giving thing, not a threat. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's good. And we know when, whenever that, any of those elements are involved, it, we're looking at the issue we already talked about, that 30% of the women deal with like vaginismus and all the other mm-hmm. things. So if they feel coercion or they feel like yeah. this is an obligation, it's not for me. It's not a recipe for pleasure. No, no, no. not at all. No. No. Yeah. And so, I know this stuff is heavy, but the book really does rescue it. Like, <laughs> I know this stuff this is, is heavy. This is the first part, right? Question about yeah. that actually. So we're talking a lot about unhealthy um, beliefs and 
even subliminal messages that mm-hmm. we're receiving. Um, what are some the of reframes. the reframes? Yeah. What's the reframe? What are some of those yeah. solid biblical understandings of sex that you guys portray in the book? Maybe that people can put it into play tomorrow night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, even, I mean, even let me give you another reframe. Like instead of saying something like all men struggle with lust, it's every man's battle. We can say something like lots of people struggle with lust, (laughs) you know, and often men more than women, but also some women, but lust is not a battle that you can't overcome. And the way that you overcome it is by learning to respect people as whole people made in the image of God. So good. It's good. You know, and just bring it back to just some nuance. And I think that's what's missing from so many of our books is like we talk so much in gendered terms, like men are like this and women are like this. Mm -hmm. That's just scientifically not true. It's not true in our in our survey. And when women and men feel like they have to be like what genders are like, it, it just leads to a lot of feeling like we're wearing masks Mm. and we're not really being who we are or we're failing because we don't meet the stereotype. In 20% of marriages, she's the one with the higher sex drive. Right. Mm -hmm. That does not mean there's something wrong with her and it doesn't even necessarily mean there's something wrong with him either. But how many couples have felt like we're, we're not right? Because we have grown up hearing he has a need you don't have, a man has a need for physical release, and a woman doesn't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And throughout our book, every single chapter ends with um, activities couples can do together to rescue that area, that aspect of sex. It comes with a whole rescuing and reframing checklist of like all these different beliefs we discuss in the chapter and how we can talk about it differently. And seriously, it's a lot of fun to work through. And it's also quite funny. Like we had to make it funny. So we kind of made fun of a lot of the really bad quotes. Yeah, it is. It is funny. (laughs) You have have to laugh before you cry. But I, I will also say that throughout the book, the message we're trying to get back to is, you know, you've been taught, like we've all been taught to see ourselves and our spouses as whether or not we measure up to some stoic ideal of Christian man, Christian woman, Christian mm-hmm. wife, Christian husband. And if we just start talking about sex, like, you know, you didn't marry all Christian men, you married your husband. And like, you didn't marry all Christian women, you married your wife. Okay. So talk about sex in a way that's personal to you, right. you so know, good. like talk, it doesn't matter who normally has the higher libido. What matters is who has the higher libido in your marriage in and why, yeah. you know, like, and so that's really what the focus of the book's um, rescuing yeah. section is, is mm. how do we take this back from these ideas of shoulds, all these yeah. shoulds that are heavy on our shoulders of ways yes. we're failing, ways we're broken, ways mm. we have shame and condemnation that was, we were never okay. meant to carry. And how do we get back to listening to the voice of the good shepherd? and loving our spouse for who they are and allowing ourselves to be loved and accepted for who we are. Mm-hmm. So good. So good. So good. I'm looking forward to hearing how this this book makes a difference in mm-hmm. uh, our culture, our church culture. What would you, who would you say is the primary audience for the book? Like, I mean, I, I know like... <laughs> tons of our clients could benefit from this. We could benefit from it. Um, Would you recommend it for premarital counseling as well? Talk about like who it's intended for. (laughs) You know, we've actually changed our views on this because (laughs) um, we had a launch team of 550 people uh, who read it for the month leading up to the launch. And we originally saw this as something for like, you know, couples whose sex is like, okay, but it could be better or sex is difficult. But what people after people have told us is, oh my gosh, everyone needs to read this. I am making 
making my 18 year old read this. I am Good. making my 19 yeah. year old read this. Like, or, or a lot of women have said, I actually have a great sex life and a great marriage. I didn't think this book was for me, but I found myself weeping uh-huh. at some of the chapters, realizing how much I had internalized this stuff. And it was so freeing and it was mm-hmm. so healing to yeah. feel like I'm seen again. And yeah. so we just, we think that, um, we think that it's just really good for anybody okay. who has grown up in evangelical circles and who mm-hmm. has read some of these books and just may have internalized a lot of these messages that we know hurt. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And where okay. can they find the book? Anywhere. AmazonChristianBooks.com. Um, yeah. Anywhere you buy books. And of course, at my blog to love, honor, and vacuum.com. I write every day about sex. I've yes. got all kinds of stuff there. My orgasm course, all my other books. And then you can also see, of course, the great sex rescue. Yay. And we'll link all of that in the show notes as well. So uh, I'm writing it down. Okay. Um, So let's see. What is your hope for this book? What do you see it doing when it launches and, and what impact do you see it having? The big tagline that I have is that I just want to change the evangelical conversation about sex. Mm -hmm. We want to free couples from believing all of these terrible teachings for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what we want to see happen in each marriage. But but we also want to change the conversation so this doesn't happen for the next generation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, let's get back to Jesus. Let's get rid of all this stuff that just adds shame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and let's start talking about this for real again. Because when we looked at our bestsellers, we got to admit they did not do a really good job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that should never happen. Yeah. yeah. We who know Jesus should be doing this the best. And to be frank, we're not. Mm-hmm. And so let's change that. Let's realize it. Let's accept it. And then let's do something about it mm. so that we can have the real freedom and passion that God intended for us. Beautiful. Love it. Read the book, people. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're going to close out this podcast, ladies, uh, the way that we close out all of our podcasts. And that's by asking each of you individually um, to fill in the blank. So going back to your first couple years of marriage, what advice do you wish you would have received? And then you'll fill in the blank, dear young married couple. Do you want to go first? Do you want to go first? I don't remember what I said last time. I'll okay. Something different. <laughs> okay. Mine, dear young married couple, talk about it when it comes up. Mm. Don't just assume that the fights are because, you know, that's just the way men are and that's just the way women are. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's housework, or again, housework, or, you know, maybe housework. Um, Talk about it when it comes up and get systems in place that work for both of you to feel appreciated. That's good. Good advice. I like the systems part. Yes. How about for you, Sheila? Okay, now I'm forgetting what I said last time and I don't want to contradict it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think what I would say is, dear young married couple, whatever happens, Remember that when things are tough, they're going to stay tough if you keep doing the same thing you're already doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes you just need to totally change what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. um, because I think we just got in a lot of ruts and we kept running against the same issues, but we weren't changing how we were actually acting. We, mm-hmm. we, and what we needed to do was we needed to get more help. Um, we needed to talk to more people. We needed to read more books. Mm-hmm. We needed to just admit this wasn't working, but instead we just kept feeling hurt and that doesn't really help. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good advice, you guys. That's so good. 
Well, we are excited for you guys. We're honored to have you on the podcast. And we're looking forward to seeing the impact that this book will have on our clients. And I know for so many people across the world, so, and I'm looking forward to reading it. Yes, the so, in full for yeah. sure. Well, thank you. We'll we'll like, we'll be excited to read your review and so you know that you <laughs> Yay! Absolutely. Aww. Well, it's a it's an honor, guys, and thank you for your time. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. All right, friends. We really hope that you got a ton out of today's conversation. And if you want help, if you want personal guidance with individual counseling or couples counseling, or even help with you as a couple reaching the goals you have, just reach out. Give us a call at 916-678-1797 or shoot us an email at hello at dearyoungmarriedcouple.com. No matter where you are in the world or in your marriage, we can set up a counseling session with you and we can work toward progress. We also post marriage advice regularly on our Instagram, which is at Dear Young Married Couple. And we'd love for you to join us in conversation there. All right. See you next week.